could ask for the um, Bibles to come round, that would be great. Thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's June. Uh, and today our reading is 1 Corinthians 10. Um, and we'll be reading from verse 23. Um, in the church Bibles, that's page 1152. Page 1152. And it says, <clears throat> I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put, without raising, put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for both of the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal without thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we, as we start. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you wish to speak to us this morning. And Lord, we come with expectation. I know it's been a busy service, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us to keep focused and to, to have our, the hearts, our hearts and minds open and ready to receive what you would want to say specifically to us this morning. So come have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, if I could have that first slide up, or the second slide up then. Lovely. This chap is Aristotle. I mean, it's not an actual photo because he lived about 300 years BC. Um, but Aristotle believed that the sun, the moon, everything else orbited the earth. And back in those days, that was a quite a commonly held belief that everything revolved around us. Now today, we understand differently. We know that the earth revolves around the sun. But might we, if we're really honest with ourselves, have more in common with Aristotle than we'd like to believe? Today is our second part of our vocations series. Today we're considering uh, loving God nine to five. And right at the outset, I want to acknowledge that not all of us work nine to five and not all of us are in paid employment. But I hope that these reflections will be useful for us, whether we are volunteering, whether we're job hunting, whether we're taking care of uh, parents or children, um, whether we are studying or whether we are, we are in paid employment. And the verse that we're really going to focus in on is uh, verse 31. So, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But before we really unpack this, I really wanted to just acknowledge a problem that we might have as we consider this topic. 
we, even for those of us who may be very committed Christians, we have a temptation to see life with ourselves at the center and we build our life around. So we might add in a bit of family and we might add in some work or some voluntary work. We might add in um, some involvement in church, but we're in the middle. If we want to understand vocation properly, accurately, we have to understand that God is at the center and we are one of the things orbiting around God. We're called to live towards him, focusing on his wonder and living for his glory. Living for his glory isn't just one of the extra things that we add into the picture with us at the center. We must see to, seek to understand that God is a worthy and wonderful God at the center and we as a worshiper are orbiting around him. This morning, um, we'll consider three points uh, when we're thinking about living for God's glory. Why we don't, why we should, and how we might. Why we don't, why we should, how we might. So first of all, one of the reasons we don't focus on God's glory um, in our occupation, whatever that might be, is that we're trying to meet our own goals. Perhaps we want to take some of the glory, some of the credit for ourselves to show others that we're working for or with, that we're successful or capable. It's possible even that the thing that we do during the day is maybe one of the very few things that we like about ourselves. That recognition, that credit, that praise might be something that we feel really starved of and are desperate for. So then it's hard to surrender that and to realign ourselves so that instead we're living for God's glory. But there's freedom in that. And as we align ourselves to live for God's glory rather than our own, we see God bit by bit coming in and bringing a sense of security in his love for us. So that's the first reason. Another reason I think we don't always focus on living for the glory of God is that there's what we might call a secular, sacred divide. And by that I mean the things that I do on a Sunday morning, they're for God. Things that I do at church, they're for God. But the things that I do on a Monday morning, well, that's my domain. Yeah? That we, we separate the two things out. And um, we know from Acts 18 that Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he was a tent maker. That was his job. That was how he earned his money. And that was just as much a part of his witness and his ministry as when he preached. Especially, we know that when we look at what he used his money for. And we read in Acts 20, verses 33 to 35, he says, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. So Paul wasn't ashamed of having a normal, practical job. He worked hard and he points out that in his working hard, he was teaching the church something. He was showing them that there's more to work than simply just earning money to meet our own needs. He's talking there about also meeting the needs of those who perhaps can't do that for themselves. 
but actually he's using his work to teach, to model something. So there's all sorts of opportunities in our work. That secular sacred divide might also lead us to rate jobs. Some jobs are more important than others. Perhaps we believe that working for the church is the most important job, doing real ministry in the church. Um, Perhaps some people even feel like your current um, occupation is nothing more than a holding pen until God releases you out into something bigger and better. But actually, for many of us, we won't be doing bigger or better or grand things. Mother Teresa said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I wonder what doing small things with great love might look like for you. You might be longing to be in the very best position, but surely the best position is where God has placed you now, however lowly or seemingly unspiritual that might be. Another reason we might not be living for God's glory is that work is hard, perhaps we feel unappreciated or we find it's unsatisfying. Um, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, there are a few verses where he's speaking directly to slaves. Now, um, slavery in the Bible is a bit different from what we might have in mind either from the transatlantic slave trade or um, modern day slavery, but even so, it still wasn't an ideal position to be in. Uh, by the way, that doesn't mean that the Bible condones slavery, that's not, that's not the case. Um, anyway, so Paul is writing to slaves and he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. So what might it mean for us to shift our understanding so that we see our efforts are for the Lord and not for our line manager? It seems that how we work is actually more important than what we do. We might feel the, the pressure to be in the right job but it seems as though God's more interested in us having the right heart attitude, whatever it is we find ourselves doing. So let's then think about why we should live for God's glory. So one of the reasons um, I think this is true is that it's the very reason that we're created, to live and work for God's glory. Isaiah um, 43 says, Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and who I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. However dull or monotonous our work might seem, we all have a purpose. We are all created for God's glory. It's our core purpose. And that's why it's so important that we see things accurately with God at the center rather than us at the center. That our very purpose is to live towards him for his glory. Another reason that we should be living for God's glory is that other people are watching. And I think we have a temptation either to be very, very quiet about our faith or 
to think, right, I'm facing rejection here, so I'm, it's, it's, this is a go big or go home situation. And we go big. And we are offensive to people, not in a good way. <laughs> we'll be right in people's faces. Every time someone comes near us, we're preaching the gospel to them, we're telling them about the sinfulness of their lives, and it all becomes really uncomfortable. And sometimes I think that that can be actually a bit of a defense mechanism for ourselves because we struggle with the idea that people might reject us if we're open and honest about our faith, and so we almost push them to it. Not all of that behavior is glorifying to God, is it? It's counterproductive for me to be open and honest about my faith, but be unpleasant to other people. Our witness is never gonna be perfect, and there's grace for that, but we, we need to be open to God moving. In Matthew 5, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Wouldn't it be a huge honor if as a result of seeing our good deeds, tiny though they may be, that others glorify God? It's as though we become worship leaders in our workplace. And my final suggested reason for living for God's glory is because he is worthy. We are utterly dependent on his grace and mercy with every breath that we take. And at times I think we just get into the drudgery of life and we lose sight of just how worthy he is. And at those times, it can be helpful to turn our attention once again to the cross and to think of the vast generosity of his sacrifice to bring us into this life-defining, identity-giving relationship with God. This morning, we've had just a tiny glimpse, a demonstration of how precious children are to their parents, to their families, haven't we? Beautiful illustration. Think about how much God the Father loves us his children, just how precious we are in his sight. And that's why God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to bring about this rescue plan. Jesus demonstrates in a powerful way his love for us at the cross. This beautiful, perfect, holy Christ takes the ugliness of our wrongdoing everything that separates us from relationship with God, the things that we feel most ashamed of, the things that bring about that icky feeling in our stomach, the things we most regret. He takes all of that and he carries it to the cross for us so that we can be completely forgiven, cleansed, restored, we can come into right relationship with God. We can be made holy. What a privilege then to live for the one who sees our messy, wayward hearts and yet chooses to cherish us and to gather us in to himself. So having considered why we don't and why we should. Let's have a think then about how we might. What might help us to live and work for God's glory? 
That passage that we read at the beginning might have sounded a bit random because it was thinking about food and drink rather than about work. But that part of the letter was talking to the church about trying to make right decisions about what they were eating, whether they should eat something which had been sacrificed. And the key verse here, uh, my study Bible says, this verse really helps us to think about how we make good decisions for our behavior. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the ultimate way to make decisions about our behavior. Is this glorifying to God? Perhaps we might ask that question. Now, a really good starting point with all of this is prayer. We might want to dedicate certain acts, certain tasks to God. Lord, this is for you. I'm doing this for you. We might also think about what's already in place for us as a reminder. So for example, we pray the Lord's Prayer often, don't we? And at the end we pray, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Often as I'm praying those words, I'm reminding myself, the glory belongs to God. I can function in a way which is free from the slavery and the drudgery of seeking my own glory and I can be released into my true calling, my true vocation, to enjoy living for God's glory. After communion, we pray, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. They're powerful words that we say. We really harness that. And then at the end of the service, the service leader will say, after we've enjoyed this gathered worship, the service leader will say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We're being sent out from our gathered worship to go and worship God wherever we find ourselves during the week. I wonder what would happen if we could each reframe our lives so that we saw ourselves as worshippers orbiting a worthy and wonderful God beholding his beauty and living for his glory. Might we find that takes some of the pressure off? Pressure to seek credit and glory for ourselves. Pressure to find the right job where we feel very fulfilled. Could it be that some of that pressure isn't necessary? I wonder what difference it would make if we no longer expected our work to define us or give us that sense of purpose. What if we each had that deep-held conviction that our true purpose, our true vocation, was to live for God's glory in everything we did? And we took that purpose to heart and we lived it out faithfully, day by day, choice by choice. Living out that true vocation, even amidst challenging circumstances, might we find a greater sense of contentment and fulfillment? I have a sneaking suspicion we just might. May we each, in our own unique God-given way, live and work to his praise and glory. Let's pray.
loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you desire relationship with us. That even though we're not worthy, you long to draw us into a friendship with you. You long to give us that sense of purpose. You long for us to be able to enjoy relinquishing those other goals and living instead for your glory. Would you help us to think through what that means for us and to be able to live a more worshipful life, a life which loves you even in those small tasks? We offer you ourselves afresh this morning and we ask that you would have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.